Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a chief evangelist? That's what we're exploring at chiefevangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from the data evangelist at Zoom Info. He spent half of his time at Zoom Info in that role and the other half as a customer development rep, an account manager, a customer success manager, and a product marketing manager. We'll learn how he turned all of that experience into this very fitting evangelist role. But a quick spoiler, it involves a lot of direct customer contact. Joe Zichterman, welcome to Chief Evangelist. Thanks for having me, Ethan. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so glad we connected. We connected a while back on LinkedIn. We've had a couple of conversations. I really enjoy your energy and passion around data in particular. That's why I called it a very fitting role in that intro. Um, and we'll dive into it, but we're going to start where we always start, which is the most important job of an evangelist. What would you say that is? So I, I knew this question was coming. And so I I thought a while about how I'd respond to it because I think one of the things that's really interesting about the product that I support, which is you know Zoom Info's data, is that you don't really need to convince anybody that data is useful. <laughs> you know, I think I think everybody has a general idea at this point of like good data and and data itself has business utility. Um, and so for me, I think my job is about appropriately placing my product in the universe of the people using it. Um, I appropriately placing for me was a really important phrase um, because I think a lot of people do believe that data has value to their organization, but I don't think a lot of people really understand what its utility is. And especially as a company that does this professionally, our job is data, right? And especially data that supports the go-to-market motion, we have to kind of have that conversation about how data should and frankly, how data shouldn't be relied on to solve problems, right? So appropriately placing my product in the universe of, of the, our users, I think that's, for me, how I would sum up evangelism. I love it. Let's go one step deeper on appropriately placed. Are we talking golden rule uh, where, you know, we, we want to treat everybody in a uniform manner? Are we talking platinum rule in what's appropriate for a unique person inside a unique part of a unique organization, like, or I'm sure it's some of both, but just talk to that a little bit about the, the, um, how appropriately or how specifically <laughs> placed it, it, do you? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think it's, it's absolutely the latter. And I would say between the two, it definitely leans towards the specific situation, the specific business that you're in, frankly, the specific problem that you're trying to solve. Right. Um, one of the one of the biggest revelations that I had moving into our data organization was that there are just things that data in and of itself can and cannot do, right? Like one of the things I talk about with a lot of the people that I, I work with at Zoom Info, especially those on our go-to-market team, is that like data has functional limits to what it can provide. Um, I like to joke that 
you know, data scientists don't play in conclusion as much as they do prediction, right? And so if you want data to tell you what to do, it often can't do that. What it can do is inform decisions, but data will never be the, the thing that does the task, right? It's, it's an informative tool. Um, but, but sometimes people do get wrapped up in their heads around how data should or shouldn't be almost deciding for them. Right. Um, and so that's, that's what I mean when I say like appropriately placing is that you can, you, we've got to understand how data contributes to a company. And in some ways, when you stop looking at the data as the solution and you need to start looking at your go-to-market strategy, um, the way that you route leads, right. Um, how you pick up the pieces when a process fails. I talk a lot about risk mitigation strategies with data, right? And, and all those things are part, are part of working with data. We have this incredible product. You know, ZoomInfo has invested more money and more time than almost any other company in the world into specifically capturing data about businesses and the people who work at those businesses. And, you know, we have kind of a responsibility then to say like, hey, you know, we're at the end of what data can do for you in this scenario. Let's talk about how we can help you use it. Let's talk about its utility. You know, it's it's so cool, but it's not sort of the key to unlocking any problem. You know, it's 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 a contrib it's a contributor, and and not much more than that, to be honest with you. But I, you know, yeah, I mean, it's it's a means to an end, and I think a lot of people uh, probably misunderstand that. I'm sure you've been frustrated by that many times. Well, you know, it's. Yeah, I mean, it's it's maybe not like I'm not mad no, no, <laughs> you know, no. by any means, but just saying like, hey, you know, at, at some point we recognize that data cannot be perfect. And if the only way that you get value out of data is when data is perfect, you are going to you're going to miss all of this greatness that can come out of it. Right. And and we we deal with that by talking about how you implement, how you you know, plan ahead for when things go wrong. And, and we need to kind of step away from like, is it right or is it wrong? It's about the decision that it leads to. And, you know, that's that's really important to me. And so, yeah, it's not like it's not like being mad. It's just yeah. like, ugh, like, man, there's so much ahead of, of us to get to where we need to go here. And I'm just like, <laughs> let's figure out the best path to the destination, you know? Yeah, uh, I'll use that as a not great segue. Um, you know, typically I hold the path to the position for a little bit later in the conversation, but I think it's going to uh, inform uh, a lot of where I want to go here. And so I'd love for you to share. I mean, I kind of teased it up a little bit in that intro, but talk about your path to this role. Like, and, and ultimately where I want to land is, um, is a perfectly fitting role for you, in my opinion. Um but I, but where I want to get is like what was going on inside Zoom Info and in the market around data, mm -hmm. um, and with uh, I believe your report to the SVP of Data Strategy, which we'll get to too, I'm sure. But um, you know what was going on that made this evangelist role an appropriate direction? But sure. just take us back, uh, yeah. to you to your earliest days at Discover Org <laughs> slash Zoom Info. Yeah, yeah. So um, I did not come from software professionally. Um, I've, I've had 15 jobs in the like six years I've been, you know, out of college. Um, I was a landscaper. I was a nanny, you know, a, a receptionist for a semiconductor manufacturer. Right. 
um, I started at Discover.org as a meeting setter for account managers, right? Customer development rep, we called it at the time, um, and moved into an account management role. Um, so it was, you know, sales, um, renewal and growth for existing customers at Discover.org. And I struggled a lot with sales. I, I, I don't think I really got what my job was as a salesperson. I thought it was to kind of coerce and get people across the line, right? Um, and so when customer success started at uh, what was, I think at that point, Zoom Info, because we were a combined organization, um, I was one of the first like eight people to be on the customer success management team for our West Coast. So everybody who came from the Discover Org organization. Um, and so I was there for mid-market for about a year. And then I was in enterprise for a couple months, I think maybe close to six months. Um, all through that time, you know, I'm getting questions about data from my customers, right? And naturally, I I don't like to know 99% of an answer. I, I chase, like, I want to fully understand it for myself, right? And so I would just start bugging people from within our data organization to be like, explain to me why what this customer wants isn't a thing that we can do, or why it's hard, or why we have to say no, or whatever, right? I would sort of just chase down those answers. Um, we're, we're pretty heavy Slack users. And so when my peers would ask similar questions, I got to say, oh, hey, I talked to the person who, you know, runs this process and they explained it to me this way. See if this helps. Um, it got to the point where me interacting with my colleagues in Slack about their understanding of data and like enrichment and, and all the cool stuff. It ended up being a distraction from my job as a CSM because I was doing it so often. I wasn't actually paying attention to my own customers. Um, which of course was very frustrating for the people that I reported to, but um, like in 2020, so just a little bit after we all went home from COVID, um, our at the time he was our our think chief innovation officer. He put a meeting on my calendar and and basically explained it like this. He's like, people keep coming to me and the people who run our data organization and ask they're asking questions about how data works. And it's not that we don't know the answer, but it's like not our job to field questions from people about how stuff works, right? You seem to be pretty in tune with that. You seem to get it. And you also seem to be really interested in helping people understand this stuff. How would you feel about that being your full-time job? Just being the person we send people to with data questions, right? I was over the moon. You know, I, I was super excited. I was like, oh, I just get to nerd out all day about data stuff, right? Um, and it's it's you know metamorphosized since that point, but um, what I've what I've kind of come to now, and and why I chose the moniker of evangelism for myself, is because I I really do think that my job is to kind of advocate for data, right? And even inside Zoom Info, right? There's a lot of people who don't work with data every day, but are building products that are supported by data, and so I can help them understand this stuff, right? Um, I, I did a brief stint within the product marketing organization because I had developed a lot of really strong subject knowledge. Um, and we wanted to try out if me moving into a product marketing role would make sense. Um, you know, I really didn't, in the six months that I was in product marketing, I really didn't get it. I, I don't think, until even just the very end, I don't think I really understood what my task was. Um, and so I moved back into the data team and I've been there now for about a year since. Um, but man, it's, it's been so interesting to see this development. And, you know, I think I, like I joked in our LinkedIn chat earlier, I'm like, I think I'm probably the closest to an individual contributor <laughs> that like I've heard so far, <laughs> you know? Um, but that's just sort of what I fell into, 
was like, my job is just to sort of be the person people come to with questions, help them understand things, help them make sense of the world that we're in. Um, yeah, that's been kind of my path forward. Cool. Love it. So many follow-up questions and that's where we'll spend <laughs> a, lot, a lot of time. Um, but first, okay. So the way I understand it, uh, you know, you were tapped to basically be your best self inside the organization because you had mm -hmm. proven your your unique value. I think curiosity is certainly a theme that I've heard so far in this conversation, sure. like your natural curiosity and your desire to understand, which is based in part probably on your own intellectual curiosity, but also mm -hmm. on some level of service to other people. I also appreciate that you uh, want what's you want data not to be misunderstood, like this idea that data at some point is one of your stakeholders, that the concept of data itself. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and man, you want to do absolutely. right by that. Um, but you know, you had this privilege to call yourself whatever you wanted and probably to shape the role. So we'll get into the details on that. But like again, double down into why evangelist and what else you maybe considered in terms of a job title. And the reason I ask is sure. because most people I talk to around this have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with um, the title evangelist and where a lot of people have landed is I just, there just wasn't anything better, or this is kind of anchored somewhat in the familiar. Mm -hmm. And frankly, that's part of my motivation to, to talk with people like you on this podcast is to create some, um, norms around, uh, the role in the title so that mm -hmm. it does mean something more consistent over time. And so, um, just, Walk me a little bit into how you thought about that, given the fact that I feel like you could probably call yourself anything you wanted. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that that was a, like, I, I think I went to my boss and was like, hey, can I call myself data evangelist? And he was like, sure. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, did you, did, uh, did you have any follow up questions? Not really. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, so the first time I saw evangelist as a title was uh, Scott Barker from Outreach. He used to call himself Outreach Evangelist. I think it's something different on his LinkedIn now, but I was always just really intrigued by a title like that one. Um, uh, you could see this if you looked at my LinkedIn, but I have a bachelor's degree in biblical theology. So evangelism to me was like, a, I kind of get that. The reason I really, I actually am, am an ardent defender of a word like evangelism for the kind of stuff that I do. Um, you know, the Greek word evangelion means good news, right? And so I would joke that my job is to sort of share the good news of data, right? Um, but but I, I really like its ambiguity. I like that people question, like, what does an evangelist do? Because to me, you know, you could swap out a word like advocate. Maybe an advocate might be might be an okay parallel um, enabler, you know, or something along those lines. But but it comes back to like believing that the thing that you have is great, and that if people saw how great it was and how much it could contribute, that they would take that on for themselves and they would take that mantle and run with it. Right? You're an evangelist for Bomba and for the contribution that that product makes to the world of you know, B2B, right? Um, and I am in the same way for data. I think that data is incredible. I think that especially Zoom Info's data is incredible. Like my goodness, how how lucky am I <laughs> to be placed at like the market leader in this industry? We're, you know, we're years and years ahead of, of anybody, frankly. Um, and so I love the idea of evangelism and that my job is just to sort of be excited and to help people get it. I chase light bulb moments. You know, I, I love getting onto a, a call with somebody 
and just helping open the universe to them and show them, look at how phenomenal all of this is. Isn't this exciting? You know? Um, and, and it is, it's like belief. Belief is something that I deal with, that I deal in, right? Um, and I think evangelism captures that well. It's it's hard because maybe there's not a there's not a professional career track you could escalate on in evangelism, right? Like they would just change me to chief evangelist. <laughs> like it, it would mean nothing functionally, right? Yeah. Um, but I love the idea of evangelizing the thing, you know, and I and I think it can fit pretty well into most organizations. It might look a lot like marketing, it might look like sales, it might look like sales support, whatever, but I do think evangelism kind of sums up the core of, of what I'm doing. Um, and that's why I love that word. And that's why I'll, I'll defend it. You know, somebody somewhere might say, change it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm with, I'm with you. I, I generally like it. Mine was not totally self-selected. I just interviewed four chief evangelists and then, uh, my longtime friend and team member, yeah. and my boss, our CMO was like, uh, I just read that post. It was great. We need an evangelist. I think you should be the chief evangelist. Certainly, okay. yeah. Um, but but I like it for the same reasons you do. And I think two key themes I heard there in that response from you is your own personal passion, which is contagious, blended, of course, with what you've shared up to date, which is that you know you are naturally inquisitive and have a great handle on um, on data and the way that you productize it and the way that it can help people and some of the misunderstandings that people have had again through all of your various customer mm -hmm. contact roles. Um, which I'm sure has continued as you're an evangelist, but then this other side, the belief, um, and, and I, and I also hear the light bulb moment to me is about understanding like that aha moment of like, oh, I just realized I had this fundamental misunderstanding, right? It's not necessarily a lack of belief. It's a misunderstanding perhaps, but then this belief element needs to be there too, which is like, the belief that this is important, that this is transformative, that I do need to behave differently or think differently or act differently. So I really like all the elements you wrapped up in there. And I buy that as well. Um, you mentioned it could look a lot of different ways um, as executed inside a particular organization, mm -hmm. inside a particular market. Um, and I completely agree with you. And that's part of what we're exploring throughout these conversations. So what does it look like for you? So, so sure. far, all we have is um, you know, a, a couple of leaders are like, we're, we keep answering these questions over and over again. You seem to have a lot of those answers. Would you please do that so we can go do what we're actually, actually tasked for by the organization at large? Mm -hmm. um, let's, let's let you loose on that task. So A, what did it look like in the early, because you also mentioned that there's been a little bit of a metamorphosis. So talk a little bit about what the job looked like functionally, say for you, like in terms of tasks and activities and, 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 um, maybe what a good day or a good week or a good mm -hmm. month looked like um, maybe eight to 12 months ago versus the past couple of months, or perhaps, you know, as you're looking forward to the year ahead. Yeah. Um, so to start, there really wasn't structure. Um, and that was almost kind of by design, right? Um, it was a really difficult thing for me to wrap my head around because I came from the customer facing world where every single thing you do is written down somewhere and somebody's going to ask you about it. Right. Um, I got into my, my first meeting with, you know, uh, uh, Brandon, who's the guy I reported to for, for about two years. And, and I was like, I'm real excited. What is like, what am I going to be tracked on? And he was like, I don't know. <laughs> and I, and I was like, what do you mean? You don't know. And he was like, Joe, 
do you want me to tell you that you need to respond to every question within 15 minutes of it being posted somewhere? I was like, no, not really. And he's like, okay, so how about you just do a good job? And if you stop doing a good job, we'll talk about it. <laughs> like that was, that was so I needed, I think like a full day to like decompress from that conversation because I was like, man, like this is truly an open door. I can do kind of what I want with it. Um, you know, for the last probably year and a half, I think, um, it has been, there's been this kind of ache for reporting because most of my day-to-day -day activity is either in Zoom meetings, talking with customers or primarily in Slack. Um, we use Slack a ton, you know, we're like probably super users of, of that tool. And um, we have a way for our go-to-market team to sort of tag in the data organization. Well, I tend to get, you know, I tend to be the first person to look and usually the first person to respond to that kind of thing. Um, and so for the last, for the last probably year and a half, it's been really sort of reactive. Uh, we are really seeing the, the need, I think, for investment in this area. And, you know, obviously I, I, I can't speak to like what the precise plans are, but the goal here is to actually turn it into something tracked and measured. And, and so you can actually find the impact of it. Um, matter of fact, I'm really excited that we just got a case structure. <laughs> um, so people can actually start submitting cases when, you know, some people have issues and, and they want resolution and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it's been honestly really cool because there's not a lot of structure at the same time. I'm constantly asking myself, like, how can I justify the work that I'm doing? How do I prove to people that my role is valuable and that it contributes something to the organization? I don't think, I don't think there's a question at this point of whether or not what I do matters to zoom info and to our success, but I do think it's really tough to quantify. Um, that's one of the things I've heard is kind of a common thread through here is people are saying, we need to find some way to sort of measure this kind of the closest thing we've come up with so far is like attach a, a mark to an opportunity that says, you know, we did something right. Um, what I'd like to do is actually have sort of a formal process to engage so that I can say, Hey, here's where my time is best spent. And here are areas where we actually need to pull in, you know, engineering and, and product people, and we need to triage stuff. Right. Um, I sort of have been kind of the net <laughs> that just catches things as people find them. Um, but that's what it's looked like for, for a while now. And, and that's changing, but slowly. That's great. I, I feel like um, you're probably, and I might've just misunderstood or we haven't really gotten into detail on it yet, but I feel like you're more internally oriented than a lot of folks I've talked with. Talk a little bit about mm -hmm. um, how you split your time or how it's been demanded to be split sure. by, you know, by hand raises or whatever um, externally toward prospects and customers or the market at large mm -hmm. uh, versus internally toward your fellow team members. I definitely do have a bend at this point towards working with people who work here, right? Um, you know, one of the things I, when I first started in this role, I kind of just took everything that came to me and like, somebody said, can you hop on a call? I said, yeah, sure. Right. And I just sort of be on, um, you know, I, I've, I just did a recent count and I've in the last two years had uh, closer to like 700 customer facing conversations about data. Um, which I come to find out is a lot. <laughs> um, it's a big, it's a good, it's a big number. It, yeah, I mean, and, and it's really cool, right? Um, well, one of the things I've I've sort of figured out is that one, 
Um, if I go to a customer and I give them a message about, you know, how something happens, or I sort of explain a structure, or I talk about what is and isn't possible, right? If, if the people who are involved from my organization are not on board with that message, it gets very sticky to actually, you know, sort of take that to like, this is resolved and done and over, right? Um, because then you get like, well, why can't we? Right. So, so what I found is that I get a lot more mileage in, in my work advocating for data, right. In talking to people who are then going out and engaging with their prospects and customers about how data works. Um, if I, if I sit down with a single customer and talk to that single customer, the impact I have is limited to that single customer, usually that person that I'm speaking with. Right. But if I can help a salesperson get it or help a CSM get it, I impact every person that they speak to in perpetuity, right? Um, again, like I, I feel like it's a little bit of a different situation from what I would generally expect an evangelist to be doing because I don't need to work as hard to convince people that the thing I have knowledge of is useful to them. It's much more about understanding how and when it's useful. Um, and so I do get the privilege of spending more time with people who work here and, and I'd rather do that because it has more systematic impact, right? Um, it is just, it's just such a cool universe. And the hardest thing <laughs> to deal with is not having alignment internally before you go out with a kind of customer facing message. Once you get that though, I, in my experience is smooth sailing to say, here's what we do next, right? Um, yeah, so so definitely more internally oriented, and and I think by by design, um, yeah, I love that so much. When I think about myself and some of the other people I've talked with, you know, I, I came up in the marketing organization, and I developed a lot of the messaging. Um, I've written a couple of books. Uh, I've written tons and tons of content for us. And so for me, carrying the message, and I'm joined at the hip with Steve, our CMO, mm -hmm. and we do a lot of our presentations or a couple other team members do too. And so this idea of the, the outward facing message was never in question for me mm -hmm. um, because I developed it or was involved in shaping sure. it in some way. Um, and I think a lot of evangelists, and I would assume a lot of people listening, assume that the best way to create more impact rather than these one-on-one-on-one, -on -one -on -one, although you know, a one-on-one -on -one with the right person can, can be insanely impactful as well, especially if sure. it's in the right account. But, you know, I think when most people think about how do we scale our impact, um, most people look outside and they look at bigger audiences and bigger rooms and bigger webinars and bigger stages and, and, and bigger things as the way to go. But I really appreciate that your background was serving internal people. And so the first place to start was continuing to answer more questions internally and, mm -hmm. and develop theses and advance ideas and impacting people at scale by impacting all of the customer facing people. That is so valid. And I think at least for me, I, it's been um, uh, really overlooked. I mean, I spend a fair amount of time internally as well, but not mm -hmm. with the same approach or mindset that you two. So that was Congratulations. That was an aha moment for me. <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope you enjoy that. Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. 
If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect Engage Scale program is designed for evangelist-powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of chief evangelist, let's get back to it. Yeah, I, 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 I enjoy I appreciate those. that tremendously. Yeah. I mean, the so so coming from the customer-facing organization, I had just a slew of questions that I wanted answered. And, you know, one of the things I was really passionate about understanding is how is it possible that we keep talking about our product and we keep saying we're the best in the world at what we do, right? We advertise our data as, you know, highest quality, greatest coverage. We talk about being the market leader. And I had to reconcile for myself, like, how is it possible that, that we could be that and yet I'm spending a lot of my time as a CSM talking to people about problems, right? And and kind of making sense of that for myself at the time, I just said, well, I'm just going to accept that maybe that's not true. I don't know, <laughs> you know? And so when I got into the data team, you know, I I really wanted to dig into it and get it because I wanted to, you know, reconcile that conflict for myself. How is it possible that we can be the best in the world at what we do and yet people struggle as much as they do with getting the value out of our product, right? I want to take all the information that I've collected, all the, the neat phrases and metaphors and stories that I've learned to tell to make sense of it for myself. And I want to put that in front of people before they ever think that maybe they don't get it yet, right? I want to just say, hey, here's what it is. <laughs> and before you go off into the world and you try things and you fail, you might learn from that failure, but you might not. Let me help you, right? Let me help you learn before you go just how powerful this can be. And helping people make sense of that for themselves is exactly what I'm what I'm passionate about. I, I started first with like other people like me who were asking the same question, how can we be the market leader and yet so many people struggle? Right. Um, and that's what I'm right now focused primarily on helping to address. I'm talking to our internal teams a lot. I'm trying to get into stand-ups as often as I can just to talk about it, just to help them make sense of it. Um, because it's 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 so powerful, but in if you don't think about it in the right way, you can really mess things up, you know, and, and that's the risk. That's what I'm trying to save people from is failing so hard that they don't ever want to try again. <laughs> You yeah. I, I love the um I love the belief tension that you had that you're now exploring through other people as well. I would let a little bit of that off the hook. And of course, you're way deeper into this than I am. I'm like a minute into this thought. You're, you know, uh years into it. But um this is emergent, right? Like we now like like creating the data is one thing, productizing it is one thing, making it useful. Um, this is still, I mean, this is still relatively new to the world. And so this, mm -hmm. I, like to be the best doesn't mean to be like, to be the best in a hundred year old industry would be a lot different than what, what you all are doing. You <laughs> sure. know? Um, so I, so I think you can let yourself off the hook a little bit there. Talk a little bit, just because we haven't done it yet. Talk, well, we've done it a little bit on the show, but not, not in it, probably at the depth, um, that you're living it. Talk about the mechanics 
of engaging internally. Of course, you mentioned Slack a couple of times now, mm -hmm. but then you also mentioned inviting yourself into standups. You talked about creating a, a case system um, or a ticketing mm -hmm. system for your like, talk about some of the other like internal mechanics and how those came yeah. to be and how they're working for you. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 it started as Slack and it's remained to be, you know, in, in major Slack channels for, for the vast majority. Cause I think one of our, one of our priorities in, you know, making somebody like me available to help folks is we want to reduce friction as much as possible. Right. Um, a case structure has come about because we've been trying to start to answer the question of how we can actually associate revenue. But in a perfect world, if I got everything that I wanted out of it, I would continue just in Slack forever because it's so easy for a person to just write something up and say, I had a thought, I don't get it, help me understand it, right? Um, what, what I have learned is that we need some kind of filter to access you know, resources like mine and, and frankly, deeper into the data organization, we need some kind of filter because what'll happen is somebody will come with uh, with you know an issue that they perceive, right? They they ran a report and the results were different than they expected. They they want some explanation, and if you don't have some structure to engage, people shotgun, right? They go to they go to the five best people and the two biggest channels that they think they could ask this question in to try to get some resolution. So organizing that to me is is kind of where we're focused now. So we've been spending time now thinking about how we could ingest feedback and questions and stuff coming from customers and kind of make it into some kind of reporting, right? Um, but the thing we have, to, <laughs> we have to acknowledge is that if the core problem is that people don't understand data well enough to get all the good out of it, when they come with concerns and questions and feedback, their concerns and questions and feedback are also going to be informed by what they know or don't know, right? So, you know, somebody will will have a, a gripe uh, or a concern or, you know, a legitimate criticism of what we're presenting. And it has to be someone's job to read, you know, ask questions, clarify, to really understand if what we're dealing with is an education gap or if there's something that needs to be addressed and fixed, right? Um, and so, so the, the mechanism has remained broad because it kind of needs to be. You kind of have to have a net that's wide enough to capture every instance of somebody thinking maybe possibly this is data. And then you need somebody like, like me who can look at that question and say, where do I think the gap is here? Does this does this person need to be taught something? Does this person need to to see something, right? Um, or is this a legitimate thing that needs to be brought to an engineer? I, I take a lot of responsibility personally over um, protecting is not quite the right word, but but making sure that by the time something gets to an engineer within the data organization, it's something that they need to see. Um, and so I, I kind of allow people to sort of hit me with whatever, as long as it's data related, hit me with it and I'll see if I can help. Right. And I'll try to tell them as often as I can, Hey, this is something that needs to go somewhere else. Um, th those, those intake mechanics have been not a struggle just because we want to make sure we keep it as open as possible. Um, and that means we have to sacrifice some of like the structural <laughs> elements in order to make it possible for people to engage that way. Um, I tell people all the time, like, I'm happy to jump on a customer call. 
Um, at this point, I try to limit the customer interactions that I have to situations where I know somebody who has my skill set and knowledge needs to be involved. And if I think like if a if a CS, if I spend a half hour with a CSM or an AM, they'll probably get it enough to go tell this customer how it works. I'll talk with them instead, and I'll say, "Let's book some internal time. Let me help make sure you get it." Right. And then if you still need help and support to go and kind of repeat that or talk about it with your customer, I'm happy to help come do that with you. Um, th th that's kind of the way that the filter has developed where I say, okay, now this definitely needs somebody like me, you know, and, and if it doesn't need somebody like me, I want to help enable somebody else to do what I might do in that scenario. Um, that's how it's changed, at least over time. Yeah, I love that enablement and empowerment piece. It just pluses up where we started the conversation and some of the themes that we've hit on over the past five to 10 minutes. It really is super powerful and that does scale really, really well. And it, I have to imagine, I'm just speculating here. I'm not even asking for a response on it kind of unless it triggers something for you. <laughs> you know, it, it feels like um, a benefit to the employee experience. Just the idea of I'm learning and growing with this. I'm not just... You know, I, I'm not just learning what channels to hit or who to hit up or where to get this thing resolved or where to push this problem or issue so that it can get resolved. It's, it's an, you know, the company through you is making an investment in other people and in their understanding for, the, for their own growth and, of course, for the benefit of the customer ultimately. Sure. And so I really appreciate the approach that you all are taking. Um, how... So, so you talked about, um, you know, we, we're not going to know what success looks like, you know, do you need to know what success looks like, Joe? Like, nah, I guess I don't really need to. <laughs> um, how, how is all that going? Like, I assume that, um, again, high trust environment, you were, you were tapped for this opportunity. It's not something that you pushed for, but as soon as the door opened, you're like, oh my gosh, this is, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth this is the best version of myself in the context mm. of this organization and this opportunity. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, ha have you, or has the company sought, I mean, you alluded to this a little bit, so I guess I'm asking you to double back to some degree. Um, have you needed uh, more measurement for yourself or, or is, has the, is, does the company want more of that? And if so, mm -hmm. like, how is that piece going um, or how is it going as you look forward to the to the year ahead? Yeah, I mean, we we absolutely need you know reporting and structure and kind of validation of the work, right? Um, I was just having a conversation with somebody earlier today talking about you know NPS surveys, right? Um, your little pop ups in the platform that say how likely are you to recommend Zoom Info to a friend and um, or a colleague, <laughs> and you know. In that, we have a free text field where people can put whatever they want. Well, of course, we get people who, you know, fill that out and they say things like you have bad data. What's really tough, though, is, is actually making sense of that and turning it into something useful because, again, there's so much that is actually rooted out of understanding, right, and education about the way that stuff works. Understanding that no matter how hard you try forever and always, data cannot be perfect, right? And, and sometimes what people will do is they'll start interacting with things and they won't know that for themselves and they'll start to become unhappy with just the fact that there is any imperfection at all. In an NPS survey, they might just say your data is bad and, and you can't really, I mean, we, we're taking steps to follow up on that and have more conversations about it, but you really can't 
glean a lot of meaningful insight from that. Um, and you have to go to like, what is the situation that they're in? What solution might you present? And in the long term, what I'd like to be able to do is root back individual customer issues and show that when we are involved in deals, you see, you know, a greater rate of return um, and, and, you know, more renewals and, and probably less feedback about stuff that you don't like about the data itself. Um, but we need to come up first with like, how do we measure what solution is the most appropriate? If, if truthfully, what we have to do is teach a person well, people don't like to be taught things. You know, it's it's a principle of product design that you shouldn't have to teach people how to use your thing, right? And so education might be the short-term solution, but in the long-term, you should just fix the product, <laughs> right? Um, so getting those kind of insights, I think, is where we're headed next. For the last six months, I've been thinking through this kind of core problem. You know, people don't understand data really well enough to get all the good out of it, right? I've been thinking, how do we how do we stop putting out fires and and start you know wetting the tinder so it doesn't ever turn into a fire at all? That's where my focus has been. With that, we're looking at you know some organizational investment. Um, again, not a not a whole ton that I can I can share publicly. I think, but um, you know, getting headcount, getting more people into the mix that are helping to solve these kinds of problems and thinking about these things. Um, building structure, right? Some scaffolding to to sort of build the tower, um, and all that is kind of I think where we're headed next. It's it's been now two years of kind of chasing this stuff, and and truthfully, I do feel like we're in a we're at an upward trajectory to kind of start to address the core issues. You know, yeah, it's really exciting. Um, I, <laughs> I I just. I, I personally deal with with so many individual questions that, and, and my personal drive is to try to be as helpful as I can, as often as I can. And I hate turning people away, but truthfully, I have to say like, hey, I can't, I can't spend time on this individually with you, but go talk to your manager. I've spent some time with them. They probably get it too, and they can probably help you, right? Um, I want to figure out how to say yes to as many people as I can, as often as I can, because I know that the work I'm doing can impact them positively. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I'm how I'm thinking through it. That's awesome. I'm I'm seeing in my head um, just to stay on theme with with how you all have approached this so far. I'm seeing you taking the most common themes that you're hearing from customers and the most common themes you're hearing from team members, like FAQs or similar, mm -hmm. and producing some kind of even basic curriculum that's part of an onboarding or that is available in perpetuity. Where, you know, if you could knock, because I would guess that there are, you know, let's just say the last thousand inquiries you've received, um, you know, I'm sure at least 40% of them fall into like a few general yep. buckets or categories. That yeah. you could, like I can see you getting ahead of it yep. that way. I also was thinking about video in Slack and you recording video responses to break some of the stuff mm -hmm. down because of your your clarity uh, in the way that you communicate and your obvious passion for you know, uh, the topic as well as the service aspect of it. Um, I think that would play really well too. And that, that gives it some legs. Yeah. You know, we, we have that. Um, and actually that was, so when I moved into the product marketing organization, right, I went from, okay, I'm on the data team to now I'm on the marketing team. And one of the first things I came to with my director at the time, amazing, amazing person to work with, uh, Sophie Chain. Um, I was like, look, like, 
I have all these questions that still need answers, right? And so we we kind of talked through how could I start to standardize some of this stuff? We have documentation now that kind of answers those regular questions. And, and what that did was it, it probably cut out about 30% of the things that need to happen, right? But, but to your point, you know, one of the things that I, I see as just really valuable is uh, there was this phrase I heard from a speaker once. He talked about music behind the words, right? And, and there's something really impactful about hearing a person speak with you know, we're talking about tonality, we're talking about rhythm, tone, right? And just to sort of say like, this is the way the world works and here's how we know it's how it works, right? Um, and there's something about that that you don't get from writing. As much as I want to say like, let me figure out how to turn these insights into a paragraph teaching, right? Really often what you actually need is like to hear somebody say it. Um, and, you know, I, I try as, as hard as I can to maintain a calm demeanor and, and to really not, not try to speak above people, you know, on this kind of stuff, because it's just so interesting and I want people to get it. Um, and you sometimes do just need a person to be like, no, I mean, that's, that doesn't really make sense. Like we should be thinking about it slightly differently. Uh, the, the value of having a human being involved in this process and it not being solely limited to just like, what can you find in writing? I think is is critical, um, and I, I, I'm kind of hitting on a, a hot button thing for you, right? <laughs> In that you know the value of the human voice and of a face and of and of something that you can attach to and go, oh, this guy gets it, right? Like he he understands what we're after, and he he gets us, gets our issue, and he's offered to help, right? Like that's a thing that you really can't communicate in an email. I can try, you know, but, but truthfully hearing somebody say it, and even if you're repeating the same words off a of script that you said a hundred times, the music behind those words is really what, what tugs on people and it impacts them. They might not even really know if, if what you're saying is true, but they can tell you believe it, you know, and, and that matters a lot. Even if you're wrong, people will still kind of go along with you if you really believe in what you're saying. And so then your responsibility is just not be wrong. <laughs> yeah, dude. Okay, so much good stuff there. It is uh, it's definitely a hot button issue for me because uh, I, I feel really strongly about this. One of my greatest curiosities in 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 bringing this podcast to life is exploring like why is this human embodiment and human expression of the ideas, the value, the the answers to the questions, et cetera. Why is that a, like I, I feel compelled that it's a thing. You know, when I and I'll ask you about this in a minute, like the future of this role and the future of this idea of evangelism in the context of a business or organization, why does it matter? And I think so much of it is in that human embodiment and human expression zone that you articulated mm -hmm. really nicely. And I would just add to like people need to hear you say it, they need to feel you say it. And yeah. and then this the other layer I'll add is that you're because you're exactly right. It's this if you believe what you're saying, you're halfway home to people. Uh, internalizing it properly. And then it's your authority and your credibility and the trust that you've built in that room or in that community. And, and even if someone's never met you before, um, 
you know, we all make these judgments within seconds of our first interaction with someone and they, they can move a little bit, but there's certainly research that says that that first impression is very difficult mm -hmm. to move. So if we can set, if we can get off on the right foot with someone um, where that trust is established and there is, you know, the way you've been set up on entry into the room or mm -hmm. entry into the meeting or entry onto the stage or entry into the podcast or whatever, um, that you come with a little bit of, uh, you know, third-party endorsement, credibility, authority, that those things all work together combined with your personal passion, your knowledge, your expertise. You mentioned kind of like, you're not reading it off a script, but I know, Joe, that you and I have both answered the same question multiple times in different contexts. So there's nuance, but there are like internal scripts that you develop for the top right. 50 questions or the top 50 themes that you're brought into. And so, um, yeah, a lot of passion there. So I guess I'll go right to it. What do you think? Um, I'll blend three questions kind of into one. What <laughs> okay. do you think? So take whichever piece you want and leave whatever you don't. Sure. Um, you know, what do you think the future of this is? And I guess perhaps consider informing it with you know, as people in your own life, personally and professionally been like, what is this evangelism thing? You know, because mm -hmm. you spoke to that earlier, you know, how do you advise, um, you know, people in other organizations and in other markets to think about evangelism and whether they need it or whether it's worth it for them um, or, or for other people that are like, dude, data evangelist, that sounds cool. I want to do something like that in mm -hmm. my own field. So like, what do you think is the future here in general and how do you advise people to consider it for their company or for themselves? It's a good question. And to be very blunt with you, it's a question that I've never been asked uh, because I haven't worked with people to say, here's how you should think about evangelism and its contribution. Um, but I'd say that considering evangelism as a function within a company, like I, I would think about it like, do you need a champion for the cause? You know, because, because that's truthfully what I am is a, is a champion of Zoom Info's data. And don't get me wrong, like, you know, I, I feel like data conceptually is a lot bigger than the company that I work for, right? And I'm kind of bought into that cause, data as a whole. But I'm really excited to be doing it at Zoom Info, at, at truthfully one of the, the foremost thinkers on this stuff. Like, and I could talk for hours about just just how cool it all is, um, and and for me, the the belief and the the conversational way of of addressing this issue with people or of addressing this concept with people, like that's a thing that I know if I left tomorrow, it would leave a hole within our within our company, and it's not that we couldn't get by, right? Like I, I think. If every company fired every evangelist tomorrow, like you'd still put up profit, you know, you'd, you'd still see revenue growth and, and you don't need it. But man, the, the value of having somebody who can champion your thing and, and say to people, no, like, look, listen, <laughs> let, let me just, let me just open this up for you. Right. I, I joke all the time. Uh, if you've seen, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, I, I feel like that meme of, that guy, Charlie, you know, dude standing in front of a whiteboard with red string tied around thumbtacks, right? I'm that guy about data because I just want people to get it. And, and I'm very grateful that the company I work for has chosen to put me in that kind of position 
but it'd be what I, it's what I'd be doing besides, you know, I'd, I'd be finding some other cause that I can champion and here I can do it professionally in the context of data. This is just sort of who I am. I, I think that if, if a company is considering who might fit into an evangelist role, you probably already know who they are. Um, you know, like it was not a question for, for your CEO to say, Ethan, you're probably the best person to fit this evangelism function, right? Because we're just people that care a lot about what we're doing and who just want more than anything else to see other people care about it as much as we do, because it's so cool. It's so impactful, so profound, the impact you can have. Um, that does require some trust, right? Um, I, I'm very grateful that the, the people that I work with have trusted me so far with without a lot of that kind of concrete, tangible impact to show, right? Um, and I know that, you know, I have a, an impact on my company, but it's very tough to quantify that. That being said, I don't think there's a question at all of whether or not I provide value. Um, and, and that's where an evangelist, I think, can really thrive, as you say. I just need somebody who can just go out into the world and just shout <laughs> about how awesome this is. Tell everybody you can. Evangelize, right? Share the good news. Um, I, I think that's that's the value. And, and if if you need somebody like that, you probably already have them. And you just need to enable them to just do more of that, you know. Yeah. Love it. I appreciate you bringing me into that response too, because I am with you on that relative to this idea of humanizing digital communication and, yeah. uh, and opening people up to this idea of video messaging as a, as a truly unique opportunity that will change your work, change your results. And I've heard from a lot of people as trite as it sounds, change your life. And so it pains me when people don't understand or they stop before they ever get started in earnest, like it, like it. So, so you're like, you know, just the personal passion piece. I absolutely identify with you on and I, I see it in you. I felt it from you. And, um, and again, just going back to the way I intro this, like you are in the right spot and I'm really glad for you, for zoom info, for your team and for your customers, because, um, your passion and, uh, is tangible. Like that can be felt. <laughs> Even if I appreciate we can't, that. Yeah, even if we can't measure the outcomes. Okay, last question, kind of a fun one. Um, besides data, let's set data off on the side. Even though you already said if you were to Zoom Info, you'd still be advocating for data or, or, or evangelizing it. Um, what is something in your, it could be personal or professional, but what is something mm -hmm. besides data that you've either um, found yourself evangelizing or perhaps even been accused by someone else <laughs> of evangelizing? Like what's, what's something else that you like really get people excited about? You know, so I am on a, on a personal level obsessed with decision-making the, the way by which people choose. Right. Um, you can see on the wall behind me, I've got all these maps, right. Uh, and and part of the reason that I really love maps is because maps are a great view into decision making. Um, you know, the 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 taking a three D sphere and putting it onto a two D surface, right? You need to make some sacrifices for accuracy and you know convenience and stuff. Um, and so and so I'm just fascinated by how people think and 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 how they choose. Um, and so in my personal life, what I, what I spend a lot of my time and energy thinking about and talking about and writing about is decision-making. 
the the way that we process decisions, the way that we think about information, um, you know, the impact of propaganda and how that influences us. Um, social anthropology. I've been really studying a lot of the work of like David Graeber, um, who's just a fascinating, you know, figure in in anthropolo anthropological study. Um, and so I spent all my time thinking about decision making. Right. I, the 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 funny part about that is that I think data slots very nicely into an aspect of decision making. Right. That that's why I say like this is probably something I'd be doing anyway. Maybe not data. But it would be some aspect of choice, right? Um, we we make choices every day that feel consequential, even if we don't understand why. And we make many more choices that we never think for a second about, right? And I'm just I'm fascinated by that, and and by that concept. Um, it, it's it's what drives me personally to just keep learning and developing because I think it's just such an important it's an such an important aspect of being human. Um, you know, so if I didn't talk about data and, and my colleagues know this, anybody who's listening to this from Zoom Info knows that I can go just for a long time on the concept of choice and decision making. <laughs> yeah, um, man, I, I got to tell you, I, I have a lot of observations myself and a ton of follow-up questions because you've obviously <laughs> spent a lot more time on it than I have, but I have a lot of interest in this area too. But that's for another conversation. Whether or not we record and release it as a podcast is to be decided, but I look forward to that conversation with you, Joe. I've enjoyed this one very, very much. For folks who uh, have stuck with us to this point, uh, they may want to follow up with you, learn more about you or, or about Zoom Info. Where would you send folks? Uh, LinkedIn's a great place to start. Um, I, I'm happy to engage with anybody that wants to dig in. Um, I've, I've spent a little bit of time with folks in the B2B world through LinkedIn, just kind of talking about these concepts. If you follow me on LinkedIn, you will see uh, the occasional rant about an idea that has just been bugging me for a little while and I want to put it out somewhere. Um, otherwise, you know, I, I work at Zoom Info. Uh, check us out. We're a really cool company. I would love to chat with you about how data works and help you get your head around it and um, engage with the people that you work with at Zoom Info to do that. Um, those are kind of the best two avenues for me is, is LinkedIn and talk to people who work here. <laughs> Super. I'll link that up. We publish these episodes in all of the podcast apps. We put them up at chiefevangelist.com. We put them up on YouTube, which now has a kind of a hash or a, an at mention shortcut. So if you go to youtube.com slash at chief evangelist, you can get there too. And I'll put those links in everywhere that we publish this episode. I appreciate your passion. I appreciate your intelligence around this. I appreciate your time and I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Ethan. Appreciate you, yeah. man. Yeah, thank you. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. -E -E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.